The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony Utah Opera Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Carol Anderson. And I'm Jeff Counts. Damari McGill is currently principal flute of the Seattle Symphony. This is a job he's held at the Dallas Symphony, San Diego Symphony, Pittsburgh Symphony, Santa Fe Opera, The Met, and the Florida Orchestra, where, full disclosure, Damari and I worked together for a few years. He was a winner of an Avery Fisher Career Grant and the Sphinx Medal of Excellence. He has appeared as a featured soloist numerous times across the country, and often with his brother Anthony, performs and records regularly as a chamber musician. We are so pleased to have him with us today as our guest. Welcome, Damari. Thank you. It's great to be here with you all. And welcome to Salt Lake City. So Jeff didn't mention this in your intro. We could have gone on for 20 minutes about you and your accomplishments, but let's talk about this. You've been on television quite a bit, too, appearing on PBS, A&E, and NBC. That's all great, but as a child of PBS, I have to ask you, and you see where it's going. I can see his face. Yeah. <laughs> I have to ask you about Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. You and your brother Anthony were guests as little tykes on it. Do you Mr. mean Fred? Fred? Fred, Fred, yeah, your buddy Fred. Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us about that? Wow. It was a surreal experience. It was then, and in hindsight, a surreal experience. Um, just because I've never met such a gentle person. Like, I mean, he is who you, you, you see him as on, on TV. Just a gentle, kind, caring human being and curious, you know, the questions that he asks, they're sincere, you know, when he, when he asks you to, to speak to the television audience, I mean, he really means it. He just such an amazing human being and such an amazing experience. And how old were you when this happened? I was on the, on the show when I was 18. I was 18 and my brother was 14. Oh, you weren't such a tyke then. <laughs> I, I wasn't, but I still was a fan. Yes, I mean, I know I've seen the episode with Yo-Yo Ma and just the way he expresses his interest in what his guests are doing, it's fascinating. I remember he asked, so do you play the flute when you're sad? And I said, well, yes. Well, can you play something for our television audience that you would play when you're sad? And I played something kind of mournful. And it's something, I bring that up a lot in my teaching. It's so basic. But, you know, when we are learning these instruments, it's, it's something that you can easily forget. That that's the point. It's so true. We get lost in the minutia mm-hmm. of getting the notes. Yes. And there's so much more than that. As an aside, Damari, did you see the Tom Hanks version of Fred? And do you think he got it right? I actually, I didn't see it. I'd be curious what you thought. You should watch it and come Mm -hmm. back on the show because (laughs) I love that movie and I would love to talk to you about it. Well, let's talk about your career now. And um, a lot of years between then and now, I won't say how many. It's nobody's business. but one's business. Yeah, exactly. But one of the things that classical music fans don't know is how much people, administrators and people at the principal performing level move around. Mm -hmm. People move around a lot. And you've been all over the country. So what have you learned about the American orchestral scene in your coast-to-coast travels? Like, are there some takeaways about how we're doing as a country and a culture? Yes, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot personally. I've learned a lot just uh, observing the organizations that that I've been a part of. I would say that I've, over the course of my career, I have been and I definitely still am optimistic about 
the professional artistic world that we live in. Um, you know, people, I hear a lot, a lot of people say, you know, well, classical music is dying. I don't, I don't get that at all. I, I get excited about any change that I see in the industry. Some organizations I've been a part of embrace that more than others. But I really believe that those changes, it could be, it could begin with a conversation. It could be, begin with a conversation about repertoire, for instance. Um, usually met with uh, some sort of fear and worry of, but if we do that, then this. Um, without considering that uh, with any growth, with any progress, you know, you 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 will lose some things, but let's focus on whether or not you want the things that you will gain. And so, that's been interesting. Just um, observing the different levels of fear amongst the organizations, and then at certain times, especially in Seattle. Uh, which is an organization that has been more willing to try things than than others, you know, to see the the results and then hopefully the inspiration to try even more things. That's been the one thing I've been fascinated to observe. Other than that, you know, I learned early on that there's a choice that we all can make, probably, honestly, in, in any profession, we can choose choose to try to like it, try to stay in love with it, or not make that choice and um, possibly end up not liking it and not loving it. And I made a choice very early on that I'm doing because I'm doing exactly what I love. I should always remember that. Yeah, you know I feel so fortunate to play the flute for a living. You know, for a good portion of my father's career, he was, you know, running into burning buildings, saving people as a member of the Chicago Fire Department. He was good at that. He loved it. Um, I'm on stage playing, you know, props, playing the flute. I don't have anything to, to, I'm not doing anything that should, that should bring negativity into my life. I, so I've learned that. And I really appreciate what I do. I have to tell you, I mean, people who listen to performers like you feel lucky to be able to do so. And I think one of the reasons is because you look like you feel lucky up on stage. You look well, like you're- I do feel lucky. I'm not even joking. Yeah. <laughs> That's always such a great reminder. Uh, again, you know, the details of musical life can get in the way of us remembering what we're doing and why. Yeah, we, when we with anything, you spend a lot of time working on the craft, you know, and that's definitely important, having that discipline. But I really, I, I mean, I believe that the discipline without that spirit, without energy, it's kind of pointless. I mean, on the other hand, maybe spirit and energy without the discipline can be kind of reckless. But if you have both, you know, that's been something that I've embraced. I always feel like these ghost light podcasts just are, are made to inspire me. You don't have to add that in, but I just relieve. Really, I think I'm you have like, to leave that in. And <laughs> I agree with you, Carol. They always make me feel better. 
Well, you know, and I'm sure this has happened in your life. We've spent so much time on this show over the last year talking about how artists were coping with the pandemic. It's been the narrative behind everything lately. One of the best things, though, about those discussions was hearing about these amazing projects that people have been able to finally tackle, things that maybe they just never had time to fit into their schedule or that they've dreamed about and they finally had a moment. Did you have a pandemic bucket list item that you were able to check off? Well, yes. I mean, there were, there was, there's one thing I, I, oh, a couple of things in particular that I wanted to do. There were other things that I wish I didn't have to do, but I did. Um, and out of necessity and pride. Uh, a couple of the things are, I, I wanted to just practice like I practice, you know, in high school. You know, I mean, it's just so much of my existence for the, you know, forever now is, you know, is preparing for the next thing. Mm -hmm. And whenever I had moments to to practice just to practice, honestly, just for fun, to pick up the flute for fun, I would. But I had a had a year, (laughs) a year to do that. And and it's 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 not so. it's not it's not so perfect i mean there were times when you know i was just on the couch but i had more time than i have had since you know i was 13 and 14 to just take out some music and practice it with no expectations of performing it that was that was interesting and amazing it took it was a struggle to just let go and just just do it with ease and with fun, but um, I feel better for it. I'm in a better place, you know, for that. It was an also it was also a year to to really um, define what my place in this classical music world is. The you know very specific goals that I should have that I love to have. Um, and very, very personal goals. Um, I was very fortunate looking at my path for things to have happened at the right time, at the right place with the right people. And most people from, for instance, where I'm from, the south side of Chicago, aren't as fortunate to have so many uh, circumstantial things happen to lead you to become a professional musician growing up in the south side of Chicago. And so I realized that I can be part of that formula and I and I should be more than I have been. So that's been something over the course of this past year that I've embraced trying to find find different ways to be part of someone's formula that will lead them to their version of success. Let's dig into that a little bit because I mean I I imagine as a teacher, as an educator at CCM and Aspen and other places where you instruct, that you're hearing from your students more questions than ever about their future as artists. I mean, this harkens back to a little bit about what you were talking to to us about the industry and how you feel hope. But what are you telling them about the world they're about to enter? What kind of advice and encouragement are you giving them? Right. Well. I tell them there's room in this world for them. Um, they need to decide if they have the energy 
to to do the work necessary uh, to to uh, carve their 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 place out in this particular field. It takes a lot of energy, but I do believe that anything is possible if you if you have your your goals right. I mean, I really I also tell them to be careful with their words. Like for instance, um, you can say, "I want to be the principal flutist of the Boston Symphony." That's that's fine. It's not fine by itself, but that's fine to have on the list. If you add to the list things, and this this is just what worked for me. I'm not saying people should take this verbatim, but for instance, I said when I was younger, I wanted to be able to play so beautifully that I, if I was fortunate enough to have a grandchild, my grandchild would like my playing. Okay, if that is a goal, that a lot of things actually need to happen for that to happen. That would mean that I would assume that I'm still I'm enjoying playing the instrument, that I actually know how to communicate that enjoyment to someone else. On a personal note, it meant that eventually I would want to have a family. It actually takes care of a lot of things. But I don't say that lightly. That's like I I I, I put that out there and I have that as a goal. And then I add the specifics, you know, like I want to be principal of this orchestra. I um I tell, so to answer your question, we, I work on how to like communicate to yourself and what you want. Um, and I work on, I, I help them figure out how to get from point A to point B. A lot of people don't have the energy for it. You know, a lot of people aren't good at failure, which I, I also talk a lot about. If you are able to convert failure into fuel, then you increase the likelihood of some some success. So these are all little things that we work on. I mean, it, you may not be principal of the Boston Symphony, but if you set the right goals, you'll end up someplace that will provide you with some amount of joy. It just may not look how you want it to look. I love this idea of there being room for them. What a lovely way to say it, because it can feel like there's not. Jobs are harder to get now than well, ever. If your goal is just to be principal of the Boston Symphony. Yeah, that's a pretty narrow <laughs> bandwidth to put yourself into. But mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when you and I met, you had just won the job at the Florida Orchestra. This My was first a job. a while ago, right, your first job. The world was different then mm -hmm. in terms of what was available to people. And I, I'm, it's just a nice way of putting it that there's, mm -hmm. that you can carve a space out for yourself in this world. I love it. I know our audience enjoys hearing those stories of how the sausage is made and what's mm -hmm. happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Jeff was telling me you've had an experience that you've just, I, I'm so curious about now, a harrowing experience while performing John Corleano's Pied Piper Fantasy. I'm assuming you're talking about when I fainted during the performance. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> Boy, I was just, I was mad because it was going so well. <laughs> and I was... It's a very theatrical piece, and shortly, like right before the moment in the piece where the 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 rats are taking over the town, it's a big orchestra tootie. So I'm just standing around, and I and I I'm starting to feel a little weird. I wasn't nervous. It wasn't that kind of thing. I just like wait. 
you have to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> I, it, I, I felt myself going. I was like, what? No, not now. And the next thing I remember, I think it was the second stand, first violin, this, uh, the violinist on the outside was helping me up. But all of this was happening during the orchestra tutti. So other than the fact that I was sweating profusely and the little kid in the front row was just, <laughs> there, he was just staring at me like, what is happening? What just happened? And the fact that I just thought that I really ruined this performance, which I felt was going well. I was able to, I did, con- to continue. I didn't miss anything. Wait, the piece didn't stop? No. No. The... <laughs> and this is not its fault. I mean, it's it's a very active or- orchestra part, and the uh, with a very enthusiastic, active conductor. So, um, and I wasn't playing, so he had he didn't need to be paying attention to me. Right. I wasn't trying to imply some sort of hard heartedness <laughs> on the part. No, the piece just he'll kept dust on himself going. off and show up again when we need him. Yeah, that was that was weird. Carol, the rats were coming. There was no time to stop. No, it, uh, <laughs> wow. The just needed to wake up and get back to work. Is there video of this? Oh, my goodness. Is there? I'm going to do a deep yeah, dive and we'll one. see. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there is. Otherwise, I would have presented Carol with that. But um, did, you, did you ever discover what was wrong? I mean, or, um, a little bit later, I was fortunate enough to to visit a doctor who dived a little bit deeper into something that he was curious about. And so you got some answers. I got some answers. Has it ever happened again, or was that a one-time thing? Um, I, I, while playing, I mean. While, while playing, playing, no. Yeah, that's good. No, and uh, because I know what what triggered it, chances are very slim. Good. Have you, have you? Here's a big question. Have you done Corleano since? That was the last time. Really? That was the last time. I, I wonder how I would feel about doing it again. You should probably ride that horse again. At some oh, point. boy. It's like, here it's coming. Here it is. This is the moment. <laughs> well, we cannot let you go without talking a little bit more about your super talented family because you and your brother have had so much success. And I'd love it if you'd tell us what it was like to pursue your separate dreams. Of course, your dreams were linked because you both had dreams of a hostile takeover of the Chicago Symphony when you got older. But, I mean, do you still inspire each other as much as you used to? What's that like, having each other in this world? Yes, we do still inspire each other. I, mean, I think I can confidently speak for him as well. Um, you know, like after the concert last night, I got to the dressing room and I texted him, you know? We, so we communicated. Um, we, we've never talked a lot about music. Um, so it was interesting, actually, even a, a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend, a patron, audience member in Seattle, um, mentioned to me, we, we met up for lunch and she, she said something very sincerely. I mean, really completely well-intentioned that she's like, I think it's so amazing that you guys refer to each other as brothers when you do interviews. And I was, that was an interesting comment. I mean, and I kind of understand what she was getting at in that most people I'm, you know, I'm either Anthony's my brother or yeah, or I'm Anthony's brother, depending on who you know more, but most people, you know, Anthony's the principal clarinetist of the New York Philharmonic. He's that. 
It's an amazing clarinetist. And so even when we're together, people, I think a lot of people have a hard time just imagining us in our pajamas together, <laughs> you know, just sitting on a couch playing video games, you know, as brothers. But we're more that than principal clarinet of this and principal flute of this. We're, we're still that, you know, literally, you know. So I've always been proud and of, of Anthony, for sure. You know, he was, he was, he's always been amazing. And in hindsight, I'm really aware of how amazing he was, like at 12, you know, playing a Copeland clarinet concerto at 12, things like that. Like, I mean, like, but well, doing this, you know, but um, more than anything, he's my little brother and I need him to be okay in every way. Right. I'm sure people wonder, you know, if you get tired about being asked how Anthony's doing or what Anthony's up to, and I'm sure they wonder that with him too, but yeah. I've- I don't mind. Right, and I know you, and I knew that would be okay, but I'm, it's, it's just lovely to hear you describe it the way you do, because it's, it's not a common thing. It's not uncommon though. There are a lot of siblings in this business, a lot of married couples in this mm -hmm. business, a lot of, you know, multi-generational, you know, mm -hmm. family names in this business. But what the two of you have accomplished, the level that you've reached, that's pretty unique. And I'm glad you're willing to talk about it. I think the interesting story, which I don't even know all of it, I should probably get the whole story, is, is um, the story of our parents. That would be the way more interesting than the Googleable story of of our professional existence, but how they made it happen is, um, you know, that's where the magic is. <laughs> Can yeah. we get them on the show and uh, <laughs> record over what you've said? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually imagining that way that house must have sounded when you were both practicing at full bore. Yeah, well, it was mostly me because I I'm, um, I had been playing for six years when he started, you know, and then we so we had a we had a couple of years, uh, a couple of years playing playing together. It was a lot of duets, mm -hmm. a lot of duets. A lot of me being really mean. <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> I was just trying to, I thought I knew it all. Well, you defined him as a little brother, and there is a job a big brother has, too. Yeah, I took it I'm very one. seriously. I, I took it seriously, too. We can relate on that. That's amazing. Well, we just appreciate so much you taking time out of the day. We've just barely scraped the surface of the stories I think you could tell, so we look forward to hearing more of those. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, been wonderful having this conversation with you all. For those of you out there, we really rely on you to raise our listenership with your reviews and your ratings. So please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us just to get new listeners to join us. And be sure to visit utahsymphony.org and utahopera.org for information about upcoming performances. Until next time, I'm Carol Anderson. And I'm Jeff Counts. Thanks for listening. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. The Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation. <laughs>